We're going to continue our study of 1 Peter. So if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to spend two weeks on this last uh, section of chapter 2. And um, maybe three, we'll see what we do here. Uh, but there are, there are a couple different angles we're going to attack this from. Because we really want to squeeze all the juice we can out of this powerful section of Scripture. Um, and one of the first things that we're going to see is, is sort of a continuation of what we already talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, the last time we were uh, studying this section of Scripture. Because a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Scripture tells us here that, that we are to submit to, to authority, we're to um, submit to it as unto the Lord, that even when authority is wrong, even when it's bad people in authority, that authority itself comes from God. So, we're never to put any earthly authority above God, but often we're to submit our will, our, we're submit to unto authority as unto the Lord. So the, the obvious conclusion you reach is that, you know, the only time that you should disobey the law or disobey authority is when it directly contradicts the law of God. That rarely happens. When it does, then you know what to do, all right? So you obey God rather than men, right? Like the apostles, they, they, uh, they were instructed by those in authority. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. What did they say? They said, well, you, you have to be the judge, whether it's right for us to obey God or you. But we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. The point there was, in that case, earthly authority told them to disobey God's authority. You can't do that. But every other time... Even when the people in authority were morons, even when they were evil villains, the apostles in the church at the time submitted to that authority as unto the Lord. Even when it was crooked, even when it was perverse, even when it wasn't good government, they still treated it as if this is our duty to God and we're serving the king of kings and our king told us to submit to this authority so we're going to do it. We're going to continue on this because we're still um, reading a letter that was written to people that were mistreated by their government. They were being mistreated by the people around them. And um, you might think, well, that doesn't really hit close to home to me. I, I haven't had to, a chance to be imprisoned for my faith or to die for my faith. But uh, the truth is that, that if you're really standing up for Jesus, there's going to be points where it comes in conflict with the culture, comes in conflict with the world, and you're going to feel like it's not the easiest thing in the world to serve Jesus. It is the best thing in the world to serve Jesus, but it's not always the easiest thing in the world to serve Jesus. So let's, let's just look at what he says, because uh, right now we're going to enter a, a precious se section of Scripture which assures us that we have a shepherd, and that shepherd cares about your soul. In fact, that shepherd is the guardian of your soul. Let's read what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, and we're going to start in verse 21. Actually, let's start in verse uh, 19. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you, when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. How many of you here tonight want to find favor with God? You believe favor with God is a good thing. So he's saying there are going to be times where for doing the right thing, you're going to suffer for it. 
But God is there to give you favor. God is there. His grace is sufficient. He is there to help. He is there to, to, to encourage. He's there to comfort, to strengthen. God is right there with you. There are going to be moments where it's not convenient to serve the Lord. More and more in these days. But don't worry. We still have a, a king who is on his throne and his kingdom is unshaken. Then it says this. There's no honor and you saying, well, look what I did. I, I, I suffered patiently when, when you're, the, you're the reason, you're the, you're the cause of, of your own suffering. When you're the one that did something wrong, you go rob a 7-Eleven and you get sent to prison for it. You can't say, look how well I'm bearing up under this prison sentence. God must, God must be really proud of me because you, you deserved what had, you had coming to you. You robbed a 7-Eleven, all right? Now, I'm sure God, God is still with you. God will keep you through that prison sentence. But you can't say you're suffering for Jesus when you rob a 7-Eleven. I don't think anybody here was planning on robbing a 7-Eleven, were you? You got bigger prizes. No, no, just kidding. But that's an example, all right? Let's put it on a, a smaller level at work. I know some people who are so addicted to the martyr complex that they'll go to work and pick fights with people. And when those people, and they'll pick fights based on religion or based on, and they'll think they're defending Jesus when Jesus says, I'm not part of this. And they're such a jerk about it that people naturally just don't like them. And when they get called out for it or when they, when they get ostracized for it, they, they wear it as a badge of honor and say they're suffering for Jesus. Well, that may not be the case. Now, I've met a couple of these folks. They're not here tonight, don't worry. But we've met a couple of them. They're so anxious to be persecuted that they poke people until they get persecuted. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Looking for a fight, looking for a scrap. But I've also known people that were so anxious to spread the gospel that even when it was inconvenient, they spoke up for Jesus. They did it lovingly, but just because you do it lovingly doesn't mean people will still like it right? Truth is truth. And sometimes the scripture said, and we, we read it a few weeks ago earlier in this letter, Jesus is a stumbling block to people. So when you talk about Jesus, some people will trip and get angry, but that's okay. Let, let Jesus take care of his own reputation. You just do what he told you to do, right? So he says, there's no, fa- there's no honor, there's no reward in suffering for your own wrongdoing, but there is a reward when you suffer unjustly. When for doing what is right, you're punished, God gives, God, you find favor with God, God rewards that. In verse 21, he says, for you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, hang on a minute. Nobody, nobody told me that I was called to, to that purpose. I thought I was just called to, to, to do the cool stuff. And to have the cool crusades and, 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 you know, to see the miracles. Praise God for that. But he also says, you're called for this purpose, to walk in Jesus' steps. And just as much as you're called to walk in Jesus' steps, in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, in the power of signs and wonders, you're also called to walk in his steps and be disliked at times. But that's okay. You're walking in his steps. Thank God you're not doing it alone. He says this, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. In verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. 
while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Oh, what good news. What good news. Boy, I, I mean, that, he's, he's quoting from one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Where I'm, you, you laugh because I say that a lot, but you know, I got a lot of favorites. But isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus bore your sin? Isn't it wonderful to know that the, the payment you, you owed and the, and the punishment you deserved, he took on your behalf? Isn't it wonderful to know that your soul, and let's just define soul for a minute. The scripture, uh, a scriptural definition, there's, no, there's not one definition, there's not one scripture which lays it out. But one of the classic definitions of the soul that we've come up with is that it, it, it most of the time refers to your mind, your will, your emotions. And you know God cares about that, cares about your heart, cares about your emotions, cares about what you care about. The good news is you've got a shepherd. Now, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd protects, the shepherd nurtures, the shepherd leads and guides. The shepherd goes after you when you've gone astray. Here's the good news. He is the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Now, when you trust God to shepherd your soul, when you trust him to guard your soul, then all of a sudden there's a lot of things you used to do to protect yourself, to protect your heart and protect your own emotions that you don't have to do anymore because you have a shepherd. One of those things is to fight for yourself. One of those things is to take your own revenge. One of them is to revile when you're reviled or to, to, to defend yourself when you feel like you need to be defended. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a divine doormat, but I am saying there are go- we get to walk in the steps of Jesus who could have fought a good fight in the court. He could have argued with Herod. He could have done something terrible when they were blindfolding him, plucking out his beard, beating him, saying, prophesy, who hit you? Don't you know Jesus could have prophesied? But he didn't. Do you remember that moment when they arrest Jesus? We've talked about this before. This is nothing new, but boy, I need to be reminded. Do you remember when they arrested Jesus? And they came armed. I don't know what they were expecting. I think they were expecting that his followers would put up a fight. And Peter attempted to. But when they they arrived, they came armed and ready to take him by force. And Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. But that moment when they ask, we're looking for Jesus. Are you this person? Even after Judas gave him away with the secret signal, he said, I am. And when he said, I am, those powerful words which have rang throughout history. When he said, I am, what happened? The soldiers fell flat on their backs. Or was it their faces? They fell on the ground. We'll check that out later. They fell down like dead people. Then they got up and he said it again and they fell down again. Just to prove to them that no one was taking him without his say so. And when Peter tries to split that helmet by the center seam and brings his sword down and he misses and he, he, he gets the guy's ear, which is not a great soldier move. You don't, win, you don't win wars by cutting off ears, right? But he does. Jesus takes that ear and sticks it right back on the guy. What a, what a wonderful thing. What a symbol of the power of God. 
You see, the disciples were looking for the power of God. They were looking for for Jesus to show his power by dominating and destroying and opposing. But Jesus showed his power by restraining and healing. And that showed more power than anything because it showed that he was strong enough that he didn't have to fight back. That he could lay his life down when he wanted to lay his life down. You ever wonder why Judas did what he did? See, I'm assuming, you can assume a lot of things, there's a lot of theories. We know that the scripture says that he, he had listened to the lies and he'd been tempted and at some point Satan entered his heart. But before Satan entered his heart, he already had discussions with Pharisees. He already had discussions with the, the it's not just the Pharisees, sorry, the Sadducees as well, the, the leaders of the synagogue, leaders of the, uh, the Jewish faith in Israel at the time. You might assume, and, and this is just a theory, this is not scripture, But you might assume that he had watched Jesus walk through crowds to get away. He'd watched Jesus escape crowds that were trying to throw him off a cliff. He might have said, I stole so much money, this is my chance to pay it back. And Jesus will get away, he always does. And instead of getting away, he gives himself up. Then he's beaten. He's tortured. And he says this, and and, and I know you'll remember this when he says, If I wanted to, I could ask the Father. He would send legions of angels to come and and save me. What I I find so interesting about that is is that he doesn't say, if I wanted to, I I could summon these. He said, I could ask the Father and the Father would send them. He doesn't, he he, he makes it clear that, that if he asked, the Father would do it. He could have got out of it. Don't you know one of those angels could have beat up the, the whole army? Legions is is really overkill, but he had that at his command. He's on the cross, and they say, well, if you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? He could have. He's before Herod, and Herod is asking him these questions, and he keeps his mouth shut. Can't you imagine if you were on Jesus' side? I mean, secretly on his side, because by then all of his disciples had fled. But if you're rooting for the guy, you would have said, just speak up. You're the best debater I've ever heard. Anytime someone challenges you, you have an answer that shuts them up. Just say something. And he doesn't open his mouth. And in this, he shows his strength. And this is the example we're meant to follow in. He did not revile in return. He did not utter any threats while he was suffering. Do you know when Jesus makes a threat, it's got meat behind it. It's got teeth. Jesus would never have made an empty threat. If he had threatened them, they would have really found out that his threats had something backing them up, yet he didn't do it. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I love that because it wasn't a one-time thing. He kept entrusting himself. Now, your translation might not read that way, but it does in the Greek. It's a continuous thing. It's not one moment in time where he says, I trust you, Lord. It was a continual thing. You, you, you can imagine how at the beginning of your trouble, it's easy to say, God, I trust you. But how many times do you have an opportunity to say, I take that back. I'm taking my own. I'm, I'm fighting for myself here. Jesus kept entrusting him to him who judges righteously. So that means when he was on trial and that little worm of a man says, I'm your judge and I, and I hold your life in my hands. That Jesus the whole time is saying, no, you don't. I trust myself 
to him who judges righteously. You think you're my judge, but there's a judge bigger than you. He'll make this right. And his will will be done. It says in Romans, don't take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God. Or the justice, the, the righteous repayment. He says, for vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay. That word vengeance is a word for justice. Like, like finally, the judge has ruled and, and, and justice is going to be done. And the Lord says, that belongs to me, not to you. Don't take your own revenge. Don't take your own justice. Don't, don't fight your own battles. He says, it's my battle to fight. It's my fight. So leave room for me. What can we infer from that? That if we try to take our own revenge, if we try to fight our battles, if we try to, to, to make our own defense, what happens? We don't leave room for God. So we wonder why it all falls apart. We wonder why it backfires. Why? Because you didn't leave any room for God. And really the root of that is you didn't trust God. You were afraid. You were afraid that if you didn't stick up for yourself, no one would. You were afraid that if you didn't fight this battle on your own, no one else would fight for you. I mean, you're afraid that if that guy who's talking, or that girl, whatever, that person that's talking behind your back and spreading lies, that if you don't get into the fight, that suddenly you're going to be destroyed, your reputation's going to be destroyed, they're going to get away with it, and, and something inside you says, I can't let that happen. What you're demonstrating is, I don't trust God with this anymore. Now I'm stepping in. We don't do that, do we? No good thing comes from fear-based decisions, ever. Any action you take out of fear, any decision you make out of fear, any words you utter in fear is not from God. So what do we do instead of fear? We trust. Jesus had to keep trusting himself to the judge. He had to keep trusting that God was the judge and the judge would make things right. Even when it would have been so easy. Can you imagine having that kind of power? Can you imagine having that kind of power at your dispense? Because most of you say, I don't don't think if I could call down angels, I don't think anything would happen. Because some of us in the room, if you had that kind of power, there'd be dead people in Lloydminster right now. (laughs) Or at least wounded. God, just let let me use one angel. And he does not have to kill anybody. He just has to maim somebody. Or just embarrass somebody. Can you just do that? That would be a problem, wouldn't it? Did you know that angels hearken to the voice of God? That the scripture says that they're ministers of God, sent to minister salvation, sent to minister deliverance to the, to the, to the seed of Abraham, they're, they're sent, or to those that will inherit salvation. They're, they're actually sent to help us. Did you know that by speaking the word of God, by your prayer, angels are moving on your behalf? It would be a good idea to watch your words. Now, God's not going to send angels to fight your little petty wars. But I think if I want my prayers to be answered, I better watch what I say. Because sometimes we say, God, give me more power. And Lord, I ask that my words would, would have great effect in heaven. I, I ask that my prayers would do much. Well, that might be a problem with half the things we say. It's probably a good thing that our words aren't as powerful as we wish they were. 
The one who has the most power with their prayer and their words is the one that knows how to guard their tongue, knows how to speak when the Lord speaks. Jesus said, I don't say a thing unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do a thing unless I see the Father do it. I'm not going to step out on my own and go rogue here. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And that could be the hardest thing. I've never had somebody blindfold me and start hitting me and say, prophesy who hit you. I've never, I've never had uh, facial hair grow out way long and have somebody try to pluck it out. I've never had to deal with that. But when I was a kid, my greatest fear is that I would be falsely accused of something. I was the greatest fear. That, that happens when you have a little sister. Just, <laughs> just kidding. In hindsight, I realized that she was probably right. But at the time, I felt falsely accused a lot. But I was concerned that in, in many things that justice wouldn't be done. When you think that way, you will make dumb decisions. You'll make fear-based decisions and you won't trust God like you should. I want us to read something together, and um, it, it just goes along this line in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, myself, I urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meek and gentle aren't the words that really get us up on our feet shouting, aren't they? But they're powerful words. Meekness has been so, so abused by, by the world. The, the word has lost its true meaning. But if you look it up, if you really dig into what this word means, it, it, it really, as the Vines Dictionary says, meekness is a fruit of strength. It's, it's, it's strength restrained. You see, the stronger you are, the less you need to hit back every time you hit. I've, I've used this example countless times, but we, I roughhouse with my little boy. And we, he loves to roughhouse with daddy. This is a fun thing for him. And every now and then he'll slug me a little harder than I expected. And I'll say, Moses, we don't do that. You don't hit me there. You don't hit me that hard, you know. You don't hit me with that thing, you know. Put the bat down. But <laughs> just... You think your dad's invincible. I remember the first time I gave my dad a bloody nose. We were boxing. We had gloves on. Don't worry. I wasn't being rebellious. But we were boxing in, in Texarkana in my grandma's backyard. He had, he had given me the, uh, the sparring gloves that had less padding. And he was using the big gloves that had lots of padding. And he just, I thought he was giving all he had. Now in hindsight, he was really soft with me. But I remember slugging him and his nose started bleeding. And it was a, one of the greatest days of my life. I just thought, uh, the alpha male has arisen. The, the pride is mine now, all right? Step down, old, old man. Um, I thought I was so strong, but you know, what I saw from that, in, looking back, is that it can't be pleasant to have your nose start bleeding when someone hits you in the face a little too hard. But he was strong enough, he didn't react out of anger. He didn't slug me back. Why? Because he's the strong one there. He's able to restrain himself. So really what you need is the strength that God provides so you don't feel like you have to hit back every time you're struck. This is Jesus who said, turn the other cheek. That doesn't sound fun at all. But when you trust God, 
See, see, this is the great thing is that you trust that it's not like nothing's going to be done. It's not like, it's not like the, you know, you're in the wild west and there's no justice. There will be justice. Now, how God chooses to do it, it's his business. He might pull a, a, pull a Nineveh experiment on you, and you might be Jonah sitting there waiting. I've left room for the judgment of God. I can't wait for these guys to be toasted and crispy crittered in front of my eyes, and I have a front row seat. And then Nineveh is spared because God is a God of great mercy, and Jonah is ticked off at God because he didn't commit mass murder. I felt like that before. I trusted God. I trusted God and I said, God, I'm not going to take my own revenge because vengeance is yours. And I stood back and I waited for God to smite, smite, smite. When he didn't, I felt, nah, I should have done it myself. You're soft. You're too merciful. But I realize now it was the greatest thing that could have happened. And it was the same mercy he showed me. How many times did God have a good reason to smite me? And he showed me great mercy. He showed all of us great mercy. And by his mercy, we are not consumed. And by his mercy, Jesus came and died for us so that by grace we would be saved from the wrath of God. So we don't suffer the wrath of God because he has not destined us for wrath, the scripture says, but for salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Now, wouldn't you want that for your enemies? Yes, I do. But it takes trust in God. God, you're the righteous judge, and you will, you'll act. You'll judge. You'll make things right. Where there is injustice, you'll make it right. When I'm wrongly treated or falsely accused or something is taken from me that shouldn't be taken from me, I trust that God, the righteous judge, will keep my soul. I trust that God, the righteous judge, will restore what needs to be restored. I trust that he will lead justice to victory. He'll bring darkness to light. This is the prayer we've prayed over and over again. There were times growing up where I saw my parents accused of things they never did. They, I mean, people said things because, you know, you, all, you know, you go and you talk about other churches so that people don't leave your church and go to theirs. So there were so many things that were said about my parents which weren't true. And I remember thinking, why don't you guys fight back? And the prayer I heard them pray was a prayer of mercy. Lord, have mercy on those people. And Lord, bring justice to victory, bring darkness to light. They never prayed, you know, like King David prayed at one point. Oh, Lord, I, I just can't wait for their babies to be smashed against rocks. I mean, we never got to that point. Thank God. They just said, Lord, we trust you. Lead justice to victory bring darkness to light. And he always did. He always did. This is the question. Do you trust that there is a shepherd of your soul? Here's the great risk that we take. We think, Lord, if I don't fight back, if I don't speak up and defend myself, if I don't put some threats back in their direction because they're threatening me, if I don't show that I can take it and I can ditch it out just as well as I can take it, then it'll keep happening over and over again. But the truth is, what you're saying right there is, God, I don't trust you anymore. My soul needs to be protected. My heart needs to be guarded. And you're not doing a good enough job, so I'm going to do it. And you step into fear. You step out of faith, and you've not left room for God. But if you really want to see God move, and you really want to see cool stuff happen, and you really want to see your prayers unhindered, then here's what you do. You give it to him, and you trust him with it. You don't just give the situation to him. Because I'm, I'm, I'm talking about real situations where your heart is hurt. 
Your soul is hurt. And there's real emotions. And God expects you to be human. Now, you're more than just a human. You're, you're partakers of the divine nature. You're, you're part of his family. So we're not mere mortals in that sense. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, we are not mere men anymore. But God knows you're human. He gave you emotions. He, he gave them to you. He knows, he knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through because he went through the same thing. And so here's the deal. God doesn't expect you to be just completely so strong you never feel hurt by anything. He doesn't expect you to just walk through life unharmed by what people say. But he does expect this, that you would trust that he can guard your soul and he can heal your soul. That he can keep your soul and he can shepherd your soul. That he's big enough and he's strong enough that he can fight some battles you're not capable of fighting. And if I could trust God with my soul, then I don't have to act like an orphan. An orphan who fights his own battles because no one else is going to fight for him. But I say, I have a father in heaven. I have a judge in heaven. And my judge is a righteous judge. Daniel, I think of Daniel. You know, Daniel's name in Hebrew means God is my judge. A lot of times when we say God is my judge, that's negative to us. I don't want to be judged. I don't want anybody judging me. Do you know when you're on the right side of the law, the judge is a good thing, right? See, we still think like criminals. <laughs> and when someone says God is judging you, no, 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 no. I don't want God to be my judge. Well, when you know that Jesus has become your righteousness and that you've been made right in the eyes of God and he has justified you, then all of a sudden, God is my judge becomes a good thing. Because if someone takes all your stuff and they get caught and you both stand in front of the judge, how many of you know the judge is your friend? You want justice to be done. So Daniel's name means God is my judge. How many of you think that that was a, probably a big deal to him when he's tossed in the lion's pit for praying? You know, he could have... He could have railed off at those guys. He could have accused them. I'm sure Daniel had dirt on the guys that had tried, you know, tried to stir dirt up on him. I'm sure he had dirt on them. You don't think guys like that that make up laws just to catch some guy in a, in a crime, they make up a new law so he'll be breaking the law. Do you actually believe their records are clean? I'm sure they had a bunch of dirt. And Daniel probably knew it. But he doesn't fight back. He doesn't argue. He gets thrown in the lion's pit. And you know, you guys, we might say, well, he's a coward. He's a wimp. I say he's the toughest out of us all. Because he's able to go down and not cry like a baby and go down and face lions without railing at God and saying, you've failed me. One of my uh, uh, word study uh, books that studies this word meekness he, by Spiros Zothiades was the scholar. He, he brought out this uh, definition that meekness is, is um, being surrounded by evil but not being changed by it and not turning anger towards God in the face of evil. And Daniel, in this situation, could have been real mad at God, real mad at everybody else, but he didn't. What did he do? He trusted God. And what did his judge do? His judge said, You've been judged unfairly. You've been thrown to the lions unjustly. Here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to keep the lion's mouth shut, and I'm going to deliver you. When you trust that God is the ultimate judge, then you don't have to fight for yourself all the time. You don't have to respond when someone speaks bad to you. And I know it feels good, right? feels good when someone, because, uh, you know, you can be a good arguer. You can be a good debater. You can, you can have those sharp words. In fact, most of the time, you know exactly what to say that would hurt that person that's hurting you. Because the people that can hurt us the most are those that are closest to us. Usually the people that can hurt you the most, you're, you're most able to hurt them right back. What do you do? Instead of saying what you feel like saying, instead of doing what you feel like doing, you trust God with it. And he somehow works on your behalf. You've left room for God to act. This is part of denying ourselves, isn't it? Because what does self want to do? Self wants to fight. Self, it would feel good. It does for a moment, doesn't it? Just like any sin, at the moment, it feels great. And then in the end, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes with it. It doesn't feel good in the end. It brings destruction in the end. But at the moment, it's pleasurable, isn't it? That's what the scripture says. At the moment when you retaliate, it feels like the best thing in the world. What do you feel after? You don't feel good about it. Unless you've done it so often that your conscience is seared and you're hardened, you feel terrible. Why? Because you know that you're different now. That's not who I am. I'm a child of God. Just as we sang earlier, I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God, so I don't need to act in fear. You might think, well, I'm not acting in fear. I'm showing I have no fear. I'm acting tough. No, you're not. It's still fear because you're afraid if you do nothing, no one will do anything. You're afraid if you do nothing, you'll be damaged. You're afraid if you do nothing, your soul will be harmed by this. But what is the opposite of fear? Faith. And faith says, I have a shepherd, and his rod and staff, they comfort me. He'll beat any wolf away that tries to kill me. He loves my soul. He knows my soul. He knows my heart. He knows my emotions. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows where I'm fragile. He knows where I'm weak, and yet where I'm weak, he's strong. And so he's gone through what I've gone through. I have a high priest who knows what I'm going through. He's been through it himself just on a greater scale, and he knows me. And he says, I'll shepherd your heart. Do you know a good shepherd doesn't lose sheep? A good shepherd does not allow a sheep to be eaten. Do you believe that Jesus is a good shepherd? He won't allow you to be devoured. Apostle Paul said, we've been pressed. We haven't been crushed. We've been struck down but we've not been destroyed. We've been persecuted, but we've never been abandoned. What's he saying? Whatever they do, they can't ultimately, they they can't crush us, they can't destroy us, they can't cause God to abandon us. In all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. In all these things, we know God hasn't left us. In all of these things, his grace has always been sufficient for us. In all of these things, the enemy has not been able to touch what really matters. That's where the trust comes from. Jesus kept entrusting himself to a God who judges righteously. Through your life, through your week, through, through your days, you're going to find out that you have plenty of opportunities to say, do I trust God or not? If I don't trust God, I'll, I, I'm going to react this way. But if I do trust God, I'll stand back. I'll let him fight for me. 
I'll let him bring justice, lead justice to victory. I'll let him shine light into the darkness, and he'll win. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight.